Guardian Unlimited. Guardian Unlimited. The Rugby World Cup Show. Sponsored by Magnus. Time to play. Go to magnuscider.com. Well, hello once again. Uh, this is Ian Payne and welcome to our bi-weekly Rugby World Cup show. What on earth are we going to talk about this week? Nothing happened at the weekend, did it? That has to be one of the uh, most surprising and newsworthy days in rugby union history. What happened to Australia? What happened to New Zealand? We'll dissect England's momentous win against the Wallabies. How the All Greys, as they're now known, managed to throw away their Rugby World Cup chances again. <laughs> Plus the Pumas fairy tale continues and South Africa march on, although Fiji did their island and the World Rugby game proud. South Africa firm favourites to lift the Webb Ellis Cup right now, but we know what the bookmakers have done in the past with the favourites. We want your views and opinions to add to the mix too. blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. Our guest today, Jed, a regular contributor, as you know, if you've been listening over the last couple of weeks. He's a Kiwi, that's all I'll say. Claire Tolley's with us, a new voice. She's from the sports desk at the Guardian newspaper. And Eddie Butler, who's in France, just about to board a train for yet another journey across the country. Rugby correspondent of the Observer. Forgive me, Eddie, if I just ask Jed a very quick question. How are you feeling, Jed? I'm actually feeling surprisingly buoyant. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Why? Because I'm actually quite capable of getting over it. But it's more than just a game to New Zealanders, it isn't is, it? It is, it is. Thank Christ, I'm not a New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in touch with people back home, haven't you? Yeah, sort of. And how are things over there? Well, it's locked down like Burma. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right, I think the prescriptions of Valium you were saying have gone up about 20%. Let's start, though, with England and their win against Australia. First of all, Jed, you'd be pleased because before the New Zealand game, it was a perfect day for you guys, wasn't it? 65 minutes into the game, I turned around and made the comment to the criminal standing on my left that you're on the way home, mate. Grab the plane, you're gone. <laughs> uh, I've never seen an Aussie team, A, make so many handling mistakes, B, make so, give away so many penalties, and C, just play so stupidly. Ed, Eddie, what did you make of uh, that game, England-Australia? Oh, I think England, uh, like France, have taken advantage of, uh, of their second chance. You know, England were put firmly in their place by South Africa. France lost to Argentina, and they both regrouped, had a good sit-down, think about it. You can't rush out and put on half a stone of muscle. You've just got to get your mind right. And England rebuilt against the two island sides, and then were, they were superb against Australia. Simple game plan. Let's scrummage them into the ground and see what happens from there. And, uh, you know, this is rebuilt England. Simplified game. If, if, you know, not that England have, had, have a particularly sophisticated game, but they've simplified it. Everybody knows exactly what they're meant to do now. And it's working. And it just shows if you get your mind right, then a lot of good things can happen. Did you feel that was, that was an English performance that was almost unrecognisable from earlier in the tournament? And if so, why? <laughs> Absolutely, because it just seemed to me that every player was confident in, in his role. Whereas against the United States in Lens and especially against South Africa, a lot of people were wandering around thinking, I'm not really sure what I'm meant to be doing. A lot of indecision, a lot of hesitation. And that simply was not apparent against Australia. Oh, it was precise, it was, it was very powerful, and it was simple, and it worked. And it was, uh, it was just one of the great afternoons of rugby, and of course things became the great evenings of rugby. Saturday was one of the great days of rugby, unless, Jed, you happen to be a Kiwi. Oh, I reckon it really has done the World Cup a, a favour, because now things... One of the big criticisms about Rugby World Cup, too predictable, too predictable. Well, I guess you could have predicted a New Zealand choke, but 
No, it was. It was actually a fantastic day for World Rugby. Yeah. I don't think they choke. I don't think, I don't think they've ever choked. All the games they lose at the World Cup, they're all classics in their own right. You choke if you go down by 30 points. On, you know, you freeze on the big night. New Zealand at the end were hammering away on the French line. That's not choking. Claire Tolley, what did you make of, of that Saturday? Have you seen anything like it? I think that certainly that was, in my mind, the best day in World Cup history. You couldn't really predict what was going to happen. And I think that certainly, for example, the New Zealand game in the evening, everybody beforehand was saying that you know, New Zealand had to win this time, that this was their, finally their year that they were going to do it again. I don't think that they choked either. They took the wrong decisions at key times and you define a great team by the fact that they take the right decision at the key times and New Zealand didn't. What do you think they did wrong? I think that Luke McAllister's simbinning was a key point. There's no way that whatever people will argue that he shouldn't have been simbinned. I'm sorry, but he should have been. Um, and we've heard a lot of conspiracy theories over the past couple of 48 hours uh, from a lot of Kiwis, but at the end of the day, they got beaten by a better team on the day. Simple. Are there any reasons, do you think, for New Zealand to have cause for complaint, Jed? I mean, that, that the French try, most people agree, was perhaps a forward pass. Uh, the referee, not happy with the referee and the, and the warnings to Richie McCall very early on in the game, which set yeah. the standard, and that yellow card, of course. Yeah. Any, any cause for complaint? I don't think so. No? No. No, I'm... Actually, I had a guts full of people blaming the referees for wins and losses and all sorts of things. I mean, it's good to see a little human error still in the game. It means we actually are playing a game. Mate, the guy was there on the night. He did his job. That's it. He doesn't need to be any more, you know, a big part of the game at all. We can just move on. Eddie, what did the French do that no one else has been able to go against uh, New Zealand for the last few years, with the possible exception of maybe one-offs, Australia and South Africa? Well, France, France just absolutely took the burden of shame after that Argentina game and turned it to their advantage. And they just put in a heroic performance. And they they didn't win much ball, but, I mean, the tackling. The tackling was just immense. And well, the, one team was playing for its lives and the other team was trying to play for the World Cup. It was pretty easy to see that which one was more desperate. What were France doing technically, you think, Eddie, that they hadn't done before? Well, they stopped New Zealand in their tracks. You know, it was a, it was a performance New Zealand hadn't come up against. You know, they, they strolled at half pace through the pool stages and then came up against, against real opposition. And it just showed, you know, that um, New Zealand was just a little bit more pressurised, a little bit more frantic, and a little bit more of a squeeze on Dan Carter. Do you think, Eddie... Sorry. And the smoothness went out of their operation. And it's as simple as that. They were rattled. They were, they were bumped all over the shop. They were put down like they haven't been before. And uh, if you're not used to it, and they haven't been used to it this World Cup, it takes its toll. Do you think, Eddie, that part of the issue in both games was the fact that the breakdown was so important. You know, you look at the fact that England absolutely blitzed Australia in that area, whereas New Zealand, who are so used to winning quick ball at the breakdown, just could, were unable to do that against France. Yeah, I, I think it's entirely right, Claire. Just, you know, you, you get taken out of your little comfort zone and your, your momentum is changed and um, you have to be able to react immediately. And the All Blacks are, are past masters at reacting to events on the field. But on Saturday night in Cardiff, they were the ones that couldn't really cope with the changing circumstances. Was there any sense, do you think, that during the game the tactics could have been altered to change things around? I mean, there was that long period towards the end where they were just picking up the ball and driving about a couple of inches. Oh, and I thought, actually, the, uh, for about the last seven, eight minutes of the game, the All Blacks looked rather clueless, to be honest. The uh, ball was moving laterally across the field. There was no runners coming in. Millie Ayana was playing out of place. She shouldn't have been playing centre. She should have been playing full-back. Was that not the point? Was that with a quarter of the game to go, the spine of the All Blacks team was off the pitch? You'd lost your first-choice half-backs. You know, you finished with your third-choice half-back at number 10. So how do you win a game from there? 
I think the idea, if you're an All Black, is that you get on the pitch and you're part of the 22 now. We've we've decided, holders and bowlers, that 22 players now play a game of rugby. So you can't say if you take a hooker off and you put the other hooker on that you're losing the spine of the team. And Andrew Hoare's been a hooker in the All Blacks now for around about three years, and he's been pretty good. If you want to join in, by the way, we'd love to hear from your blogs, and we've had loads and loads over the last few weeks, so thank you to everyone who's joined in. Uh, the address is blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport. Let's start with some blogs about the New Zealand game. Give me the facts from Paris. says, we lost, they won, they played better, we'll handle it. it sounds like Jed could have written this. Uh, we've just seen the demise of the great all-black team, out with a whimper, not with a bang. The best team in the world, 2004 to 2007. A third of them are off to get their retirement checks in the north. The team has dissolved. I'll remember them for some great running 15-man rugby, defeating all comers with some scintillating tries and great games against France and the Lions in particular. Thanks, guys, he says. And Sockmanny, or Sockmain, says, Henry has patently failed to learn lessons of previous campaigns, i.e. you need a centre playing at centre, not a full-back. If you don't distribute the ball to the wings, what's the point? Just hope we can make as good a job at hosting next time. At least we'll have the compensation of not having to fly home when we get beat. Eddie, do you think there was anything that the All Blacks could have done in that match that would have changed the outcome? No, not on the night. You know, sometimes you just uh, you got to take it on the chin, you know. And uh, there are no ifs and buts out there. You just—it's not as if they were trying, is it? You know, they just—they uh, got beaten by a side that was inspired, and it, it just seems—it happens to New Zealand all the time at the World Cup. And uh, the conditions of a World Cup are so much different from anything else they play. You know, there's a there's a different a different dyna- dynamic to Alliance Tour. There's a different dynamic to the Tri-Nations. The World Cup comes with its own unique set of circumstances. And, and New Zealand had to do an awful lot of travelling. They had an awful lot of easy games. And suddenly, bump, you know, they come up against it. And uh, it's, uh, it, it, it's happened often enough now for it to, to be a worrying trait. And, uh, you know, the only chance they got is to take it back to New Zealand uh, and have a World Cup in their own backyard. Ooh! Oh, oh. <laughs> what uh, what happens to this All Black side now? And we know that the the coach will go by Christmas. Yep, he's gone. Oh, uh, There'll be blood on the carpet, won't there, Jed? Robbie Deans, apparently the man that everyone's pointing to back home. Uh, I think Gatlin's in the mix. Obviously, Smith and Hanson have still going to be there or thereabouts. But I'd say all the money back home's on Robbie Deans to step into the job. Did anyone at home predict that New Zealand might actually lose? Uh, I don't know, no. A lot of the punditry I saw coming out of New Zealand, everyone was pretty cocksure that we were going to do it right up until Friday. Hate to say it, but I think I might have been the only person that said, hang on a minute, we are playing France. Mm. The equation is, and Thomas said it in the first show that he did, he said that there's only one team in the world that can lose the first game and make it to the last one. And we just played them and lost on Saturday night. Eddie, what did you make then um, of Australia's performance? We'll concentrate on England a little bit, but, but from Australia's point of view... Was that a predictable performance? Because in the end, their forwards were mashed. Yeah, I seem to spend a lot of time talking to Australians lately. <laughs> and they, and their, their, their only reaction has been, ah, the Wallabies were dreadful. Not one of them can, can bring himself to say, or herself, to say, well played England. Wow. And they're just looking at it from a total collapse of Wallaby form, which I think is unfair. I thought England rose to the, rose to the occasion. I thought they were they were unrecognisable from, from the England of this competition. And it just shows, you know, that England, they could adapt quickly. And I think that's very encouraging for the future. And it's, it's going it's to have to happen again, because if they, they are not going to be able to do a number on the French scrum like they did on the, on the Wallaby scrum. But having said that, it was it was a huge occasion, and they did make mincemeat of, of the Wallaby front row, and it just goes to show that you should be able to 
to produce a scrummaging side in a professionally-led game in your homeland. And, and, and how Australia can't put together a scrum, it, it defies belief. Yeah, I was hearing a lot of chat, Claire, about the, the, the front row, particularly the fact that Andrew Sheridan was giving his opposite number a torrid time. And for several years now, the Australians have looked and spent ages training up, trying to find props who can deal with the international arena, and palpably they can't. No, I mean, a lot was said about the fact that Michael Foley had been brought in by John Connolly in order to shore up the scrum. But they do seem to have a problem whenever they come up against nations that take scrummaging seriously. I mean, Sheridan is a man mountain, but he also has an extremely good technique. And I think Australia simply couldn't cope with that. That isn't necessarily where they won the match, but it set the tone for England to win the match. Because when, you know, you've got your scrum... Go- there were only, I think, three scrums in the first half. But when your scrum is going backwards, you're onto the back foot. Once you're onto the back foot, everything else follows on from there. And, you know, and England looked like a different team when they were going forwards with all that momentum. Well, I was just going to say that the referee, Alain Roland, is a good ref. God, he got it so wrong with that first scrum. It was so obvious that England had Australia absolutely in trouble at that first scrum, and he penalised England. That's a mistake. You, the referees have got to know when a scrum is in trouble. You know, he penalised Andrew Sheridan. When Guy Shepherdson, he just clearly twisted it in and took it down because he just couldn't handle it. Imagine what would happen if that remained the, the, the course throughout the afternoon. But the same will not be true when England play France, will it? No, 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 France. <laughs> the, the, the opposite might happen. I mean, France are ferocious scrimmages, and they will pinpoint England and say, right, let's hurt England, where they think they now have the cards, and England have got to think of another way of hurting France. But, of course, you know, at least we're in familiar territory now. England, France, well, we've seen a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly have. Uh, Joe H. from Edinburgh says, it was a brutal display of passionate rugby in which the sheer force of power brought England a deserved win. You can't call that style of rugby rubbish. It's a knockout competition, so everything's tighter. I suspect sour grapes. That's not to say New Zealand or France won't test us to the limits, but we showed better hands and more flair than at any time in any game for the last four months. It's obviously written this one before the, the uh, New Zealand game. I take my hat off to them. And Metatone's got a question for you, Eddie. He says, Eddie, if you drop by the podcast studio, I'd love to hear some more reflection on what this might mean relative to your predictions in the last podcast. I don't say that to rag you on either. Even though I thought the games may be closer than some were predicting, I would never have predicted these results. But still, are there some aspects to the game we overlooked in rushing to praise the Tri-Nations and criticising the Northern Hemisphere? Do you think we got it wrong? Yeah, but that's brilliant. That's romance. That's what sport's all about. Health, teeth, you know. You analyse it and you look at it logically and you come to your conclusions. And sport stands up and sort of says, absolute rot. And everybody thought that there are no upsets in rugby. Well, of course there are. And that's what makes it, that's what made Saturday so very special. That all the forecasts were just absolutely shredded. Brilliant. Jed, what do England have to do to beat France, do you think? Oh, take another two or three guys on the paddock with them, I think. Really? You think it could be that one-sided? Yeah, look, I think the effort that England put in against Australia was absolutely outstanding. First class all the way. Brutal, brutal game. You know, 30 men went out there for 80 minutes and absolutely smashed each other. But I don't think England can suck it up again to take France on. Why not? Just too intense. That effort against Australia was too intense. What about the French effort against New Zealand? Wasn't that too intense? I actually think, mate, I actually think the French did it pretty easy. I really do. I don't think you saw too many guys other than Betts and get knocked out the first minute or so. I don't think you saw too many of the Frenchmen walking around with limps at the end of that game. At the end of the English game, I saw plenty of guys lying on the ground. They look knackered. Claire, what do you make of that assumption? No, I, I disagree. I think that... Um, good, good. 
<laughs> I think that um, France were, were pretty much out on their feet by the end of that game. You look at the number of tackles that they had to absorb. I mean, it was phenomenal how much possession that um, New Zealand had uh, during the game. Guys pull it out of the back of the run, run two steps and go for a flop. And that's counted as a tackle. That's not a lot of intensity in that tackle. No, I thought that was a when, lot. When you go too wide and you get in Australia and you get someone like Mortlock running back at the mix, that's a tackle. There's intensity on that contact. Eddie? I just think, uh, you know, that one was played in the afternoon sunshine of Marseille and one was played in the evening of Cardiff. So exhaustion was more evident at the England game. But I, I think Jed has a point. There were a lot of English players who came off with what looked like more than just bumps and bruises. I just think of Lewis Moody and uh, uh, Simon Shaw. I, I think in, in the, over the next few days we'll have to keep a very close eye on the on the medical bulletins coming out of the England camp. But but the way that France played, very, quite a defensive uh, game for the, the, the natural flair, so-called, of France. It was, it was oh, slightly that. against... No? French flair, for God's sake. It's, it's, you know, if you watch French club rugby... There's about as much flair there uh, <laughs> as, you know, it, it just doesn't exist. They've got, sure, they've got a, a, a way of cutting loose on occasions, which looks brilliant. But for the most part, French rugby is as brutal and as hard as anything you'll find on earth. They're not a running side. But in 1999, that famous day when France beat New Zealand, you've got to say that was a running victory at Twickenham, wasn't it? Yeah, but if you want a running side, you look at Fiji. No set piece and they live on scraps and wow, off they go. But France have got a huge set-piece side. And they, uh, I, I looked at the highlights of that 1999 game. France ground their way back into that game with a huge set of rolling mauls plus drop goals by Christophe Lamaison. And then they cut loose. But if there's anything that England like, it's a tight game, isn't it? Isn't that England's strength as well? Big, huge forwards pounding yeah. each other. Yeah, and that's why it's going to be monumental again. And it's just a question of who can raise after those two quarterfinals for the semi-final and I think it will be what's left and it is a factor and it's going to be attritional again as well isn't it there aren't going to be many points in it at all doesn't, doesn't look like it the way these things have gone but I'm not going to predict and I shouldn't think anyone should predict anything come on mate live a little live a little no we're not predicting anything ever belt. again Let's go. this is absolute madness that, that destroyed my head Saturday I, can, I still cannot believe exactly what happened if you want to join in well, it is blogs, October mate could have been a bad trip <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going back to the shrooms. Uh, Blogs.guardian.co.uk forward slash sport if you want to get in touch. Uh, Eddie, I know you've got to get on your train because they're making lots I'm of on noise. It. We're off. Oh, we're you're off on it. Yet. Oh, yeah, lovely. Yeah. Fantastic. We're on the way. Here we come. A thousand miles an hour. Good. Well, you can stay with Can you stay with us then? Yeah, yeah. Good no lad. Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to talk about South Africa against Fiji. You said, Eddie, that only the Fijians are the flair team, the people that live off scraps, and that they base their rugby around running anymore. Um, how close, you know, obviously we know how close they got in terms of points, but how close did they get to upsetting South Africa on Sunday? He's gone through a tunnel. <laughs> we'll get him back. Claire, how close do you think the Fijians got to upsetting South Africa? They got close enough that uh, John Smith had to grab all his players together and tell them in those uncertain terms that they were in danger of going exactly the way that New Zealand and Australia had done the day before. That's what he's there to do. He's the leader. He pulled it out the bag. So Fiji really rattled South Africa. They scored two tries very quickly and South Africa had Hello. to get themselves into a position where they could just close the game out and for a long time South Africa looked anything but like the team most likely to uh, take the World Bank. Yes it was, um, it was very interesting in the post-match press conference to listen to what the South Africans had to say. The, uh, the South African coach Jake White said that the captain John Smith got the team together when it was 20 all. He said that John told the players he could see in their eyes 
what he had seen in those of the Australian New Zealand players' eyes at the same stage of their games in the previous day. He told them to snap out of it. It was a magnificent example of leadership under the most intense pressure. Um, Eddie, do you think it was that significant a speech? Yeah, yeah. You know, Fiji were on one of their, their roles. And... OK, French tunnels are obviously deeper and thicker than ours. We'll come back to you in a minute. How significant do you think that speech was, Jed? Uh, well, John Smith is a pretty, he's a very inspirational guy. I've had the opportunity to interview him on a, quite a few occasions. and uh, He's quite thoughtful, he's isn't he? He's an outstanding individual, actually. Mm. You can see why he would be the captain of the Springboks. And yeah, if he turned around and told the boys to get with, you know, get with it, then come the moment, come the man. So You get the impression in this World Cup that, that everybody now, every single team, has suffered some sort of setback. There's no one who's got this perfect 100% mentality and, and, and win rate so far, yeah. even though South Africa have won every game. They've wobbled a couple of times as well, haven't they? And if they yeah. haven't got their yeah. A-game heads on, you get the impression that Argentina could cause quite a surprise here. I don't think, I don't think it'd be a surprise at all. You don't? I, I think Argentina will roll South Africa. Yeah? Absolutely. Why? Simply because Argentina now Nipet on the way into this game. Moment. Hello, kia ora. <laughs> oh, that's the... Um, uh, French uh, speaking clock or something. The, Carry on. The way that Argentina have had to roll their series into the semi-finals, they've already been in scraps. A good one against France. They threw Ireland around and beat them up. You know, if the criticism of the All Blacks run into France and Cardiff was that our run was too soft, I think you'll find that South Africa's was just as soft. Mm. You know, and it was a mental thing that didn't put them 50 points clear of Fiji. Which, that if they played them this time next year, they would absolutely turn around and hammer Fiji. Fiji wouldn't stand a chance. The bookmakers, Claire, make South Africa very clear favourites to win this uh, World Cup. Do you think that's a good bet? No. No? <laughs> My money's been on South Africa from the start, but um, I don't... I think it's too close to call now. I certainly think that um, England are going to fancy their chances against France. Personally, I think, you know, the French now are the team to beat. You think they're the team to beat? Yeah. You... I'm calling a French-Argentina final. Again? Yep. Oh, this is like the European Football Championships when it was Greece-Portugal in the first game. Big upset. Greece get to the final and they did it again. Do you actually see Argentina being able to beat France no, I, again? I see, I, I tell you, I see France meeting Argentina because Argentina are going to do a real number on the box. What do you think? Yep. Guardian Unlimited. The Rugby World Cup Show. Sponsored by Magnus. Well, speaking of Argentina, who of course beat Scotland in the uh, last quarterfinal on Sunday evening, they've now got a semi-final date with South Africa to come, which Jed thinks will be uh, Argentina's evening. Uh, let's ask an Argentinian on the line now. From France is the Argentinian rugby journalist Frankie Dejes. Frankie, thank you very much for joining us. Have you been in touch with anyone back home? What on earth is it like in Buenos Aires? I uh, haven't been really in touch uh, with more than friends and family, but uh, they say it's really big. I mean, even before the game, uh, soccer actually bowed to rugby. They moved the biggest uh, soccer game in in the season. Uh, they moved it forward two hours. Victory! Victory! <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, River Plate and Boca Juniors. That was River Plate and Boca Juniors. So and, uh, a friend of mine who went to that match said that uh, he stayed uh, he stayed to watch uh, to watch a Pumas game on the screen, and there was something like. 40,000 soccer spectators watching it. So that alone is just uh, a stamp of, uh, of approval from, <laughs> from the whole uh, Argentine community. Well, it's going to make rugby big business over in uh, Argentina. But, of course, we must remember that, that in Argentina, rugby union, they're, they're professionals in Europe, they're players, but in Argentina it's still an amateur game, isn't it? 
It is. It is, and it's um, 100% totally amateur. It's part of its ethos. The players know that uh, if they want to to play rugby professionally, they must go overseas. And as, as some of them have said, I mean, coming to Europe to play professional rugby is a bit like doing a Masters. They're already good enough uh, before they leave, but uh, they get rounded off and, uh, and given that extra extra bit that makes them uh, such uh, good players. So, in a way, it is an amateur sport over there, but the national side is reflective of, A, how good the players are individually, but also it also reflects that we need we need a professional uh, scene to help them uh, get that much better, if you know what I mean. And And is rugby restricted to just some areas of Argentina, or is it nationwide? The thing is, with Argentina, it's such a big country that some of the areas there are totally inhabited. Patagonia, of course, uh, is uh, something that a lot of people uh, know of. It's it's so big that, uh, uh, a bit like New Zealand, there's only sheep there. But uh, <laughs> we have 25 provincial unions, so that shows that uh, there's rugby all over the country. I understand you have quite a lot of your friends sleeping on your floor. Uh, well, tonight uh, or, or last night was a bit of chaotic, and now everybody's trying to find out how they either come. I, I know of 10 friends that are coming out, and uh, they know they have no hotel. I, I mean, I'm closing my door. I'm, I'm <laughs> my phone. They might have to sleep in shifts. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just going somewhere else. I'm going undercover now. But uh, <laughs> so once I get rid of the guys that are, uh, are 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 abusing my hospitality, I'll just um, I'll, I'll just hide. Are you a specialist rugby journalist, or do you cover all sports? I, I'd, I'd say I do mostly rugby. Mostly yeah, rugby. Done, so I've, this, for you, is your defining moment as in your career and all your colleagues. Yeah, geez, yeah, it was, it was, it was huge, and it means a lot, and uh, it just uh, takes it to a new level, which is something I've been writing about because the players have been talking the talk and saying that uh, yes, they could make it to the semi-finals, and after that is 80 minutes of rugby per game and um, I kind of bought into that but as I say yeah the, I mean the players were extremely wired up for that match everybody was uh, talking the talk and, and they actually produced the win they didn't produce on the night it wasn't the best of rugby matches and uh, in fact we were looking at every second counted I mean and we're just yeah. praying for the clock to stop yeah, uh, at 80 minutes particularly but, after what had happened obviously on Saturday with such incredible rugby and such incredible turnarounds and shocking results. Claire, what did you actually make, from a neutral's point of view, of Argentina's performance against Scotland? Argentina have had their dip now, I think. They performed so well against France and Ireland, and they didn't play well yesterday at all. But that's what you need to do to get to the semi-finals and the finals of a World Cup. You need to play badly and still win. Jed, what did you make of their performance? I don't think New Zealand played too hot against Scotland either. And uh, I think maybe Scotland... A little bit more, shall we say, a little bit more difficult than a lot of people expect them to be. Yeah, I agree. I don't think Argentina's performance against Scotland is the same Argentina that uh, that beat France and beat Ireland. But at the end of the day, I think your mental application comes along when you really know that you've got to go for it. And the mindset of this Argentinian team of, look, we don't know if we're going to win or lose, but if we go out in the paddock and collectively dump 100% of ourselves out there, we'll win. So, you know, they're looking at, to, not at themselves in particular. They're not worried about what the opposition's up to. They know if they go out and spill it, then honesty will help them win the game. Frankie, Jed is a, obviously a, an all-black man fan, and he's um, 
pretty upset with what's been happening. Actually, he's very stoical. Actually, he's not that upset. <laughs> he just he thought it might happen. But but his view is that Argentina can beat South Africa from a neutral point no, of no, view. No, no, my, my my view is Argentina will beat will South beat South <laughs> Africa. Right. What do you think, Frankie? I think um, the management of the team for the next few days is going to be crucial. This is a very tired team, but this is a team of brothers. I mean, you, they, I mean, when, when, when there is success, you always hear about, uh, yeah, we did, we're, we're great friends, whatever. And uh, when teams are not successful, you've got to wait for the autobiographies to come out to really find out <laughs> what happened. Yes. But um, this team, and I've been following uh, the national side for 20 years now, and uh, this is a really close, close unit. They fight for each other, they enjoy their company. They've been on tour for two months now because they started. They left Argentina on the 12th of August and it's a very long time to be away from home, family or, or friends or just your your own toilet at home. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're actually... Or anywhere. Yeah, or anywhere, yeah. <laughs> they actually enjoy their own company and uh, what they really need now is just relax, rest, forget about rugby for a couple of days. I mean, and... and pfft, how much more can you learn now? How much more can you can you get into, into your system? Now it's about just mental focus and just make sure that those legs are, are ready to, to run again. Because yesterday, uh, the guys were exhausted. One of them told me we were exhausted even when we were warming up. <laughs> so as, as It was all that crying they were doing in the national <laughs> anthem, you see. That's yeah, why but so tired. It, I, I mean, isn't that what, what you really want? Yeah. I mean, uh, that that's the passion these guys have for the country, for friends, for family, for everybody, and 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 the national anthem is long, and and that's even the short version. You should. <laughs> you yeah. know what, know. The long version is timed at four minutes. I could go on for a long time. <laughs> yeah, so imagine, imagine, I mean, the the mental drain of crying for four minutes. Yes, too long a cry. Jed, yeah. Jed, are you missing your toilet? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just want to ask you one final thing, Frankie, before you go. How big a star is your fly half, Hernandez? The problem with him, if you want to put it that way, he's just a, such a quiet, humble guy. He just wants to play rugby. Uh, he's, he's not after the limelight. If he, if he would be chasing that, he'd be the David Beckham of rugby. You better get used to it, though, because I suspect he's going to have quite a few offers to talk and, and write. Yeah, but, uh, but uh, it's, it's not his gig. He wants to play rugby. He's the kind of guy you hate. I mean, let's put it this way. He's mm. handsome, he's rich, he's a great guy, and he plays rugby like gods. I mean, there's everything to hate those guys, no? <laughs> I mean, well, he's, they're, they're, all, they're all what one, one, one isn't. <laughs> You've been, uh, <laughs> well, he's been a fine example, as, as has the whole team. So even if you don't get through the semi-final, and Jed thinks you will, it's been uh, a wonderful tournament. Congratulations. Yeah, and, and I mean, and then again, sorry. I mean, and Hernandez, in a way, he's the epitome of the Argentine team. Humble. Quiet, unassuming, just wants to do his business, and that's what this team is all about. Mm. And just a, a very sorry, I did. There was one other question I just wanted to ask you very, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, you've I, already farewelled me three times. Yeah, but I'll I, don't you. worry, I'm, I'll, I'll stay here. That's <laughs> oh, okay. One, one final, 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 final <laughs> thing. Do you want to be in the Six Nations next time, or the Seven Nations, or the Tri Nations? Me personally, yeah, it's a very dodgy question. I mean, I, I don't think we have an answer, but the, the Four Nations uh, is a problem because our players are based in Europe. Uh, if, if, you were, if you were in the Seven Nations in the Northern Hemisphere, where would you play your home matches? Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, would, I would try to find a way to at least have one or two home matches at home each year. I mean, take us to Barcelona or to San Sebastián or whatever you guys want, but we need to have 
at least one game in Argentina during the tournament because you can't, I mean, you can't have an itinerant team. Yeah. I mean, Argentina is an Argentine team and they need to play at home. So that is a real problem. Imagine the Scots having to travel, uh, I don't know, 15 hours, come out in the, in the out of the middle of uh, winter and suddenly be hit by a 40 degree centigrade uh, midsummer in Buenos Aires. Well, that's not the problem with them getting out there. It's the problem of wanting to go home. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> Imagine all those kilted guys in the middle of summer. Imagine <laughs> everyone. Uh, there'll be even more on your floor that time. Frankie, congratulations. Thanks very much. This is the final goodbye. Uh, thanks for joining us and good luck in the semi final. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Okay, so uh, I think we're done in terms of talking about the quarterfinals. We'll wait until our next podcast towards the end of the week to look ahead in more detail to the semi-finals. So let's just conclude this look back at the quarterfinals, this most momentous weekend of all weekends ever, with our heroes of the weekend, really. Claire, have you got a particular moment or player that stands out for you? Michelac in the uh, New Zealand game. He's so much maligned after um, the World Cup four years ago. Comes on, turns game in one play. And Lewis Moody for England on the weekend because I think it was the breakdown where the game was won. Jed? Uh, one player for me, and I actually don't rate him at all, I think his game's rubbish, uh-huh. Paul Sackey. I think he's completely overrated. But <laughs> at a point where Australia had some momentum and they come charging through the line, Latham picks the ball up, Sackey's come off his wing and spot tackled him. An yeah. absolute moment in the game that said to me, oh, hang on a minute. He was smart enough to come off his line, t- took the guy out, and if Latham had gone through, Australia would have flooded down for a try. There's no doubt about it. So an excellent point in the game, and he would have to be a hero for me for doing that. OK, well, I was going to ask Eddie for his, but uh, unfortunately the French railway system and their deep, deep tunnels has completely defied us. So uh, forgive us if we don't get Eddie's thoughts on the weekend, but we'll certainly get all our guests' thoughts in our next podcast towards the end of the week on the semi-finals coming up. And those fixtures are, of course, on Saturday evening, it's England against France, and then on Sunday evening, it's South Africa against Argentina, bound to be two titanic tussles, and we will talk about them later in the week. Uh, my thanks to all our guests, to Eddie Butler, who's now gone, to Frankie Dejes, and all the various people on his floor, to Claire Tolley from the sports desk here at The Guardian, and to Jed, commiserations. Yes, but, thank you. Uh, it's been emotional, as Vinnie Jones once said. <laughs> yes, it's been emotional, but, oh, you know... Four more years. Four more George years. Gregan once famously four year, said. Four more years of dominating the world scene, and then we'll get back to the World Cup and see how we go. And then the next time it is in New Zealand, That's and they're right. not arguing about it. Many thanks to all of you for uh, listening to us. We'll see you later in the week. You've been listening to the Rugby World Cup Show, sponsored by Magnus. Time to play. Go to magnuscider.com. <laughs>